Joachim Eriksson, and this is the Joachim Eriksson Show. Nah. Nah, it's not. It's not, though. I mean, it is, but it isn't, though. Why isn't it, though? Like, it is, but it isn't. Like, why didn't I name it that if it was going to be like this? If it was just going to be me doing this? Why did I call it This Week in Sparkling Water? You know what I mean? Like, do I think that's better? Do I think I get away with something there? Am I fooling anyone? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. Was anyone tricked? Was anyone tricked by this thin layer of sparkling water? Oh, does it cover up my narcissism? No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Anyway, um, I'm doing pretty good this week. I um, I, I guess I have nothing to talk about, so we'll make it a short episode, whatever. But it, it is interesting, though, this thing I've been talking about the last couple of weeks of how I... I um I go to work, I work 5 days in a row like most people. And then when I get off on the 5th day, I just have this deep crash into the darkness of it all. And I just really sort of hate everything. And then this week I didn't experience that because I I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go to Reno. Reno is like an hour and a half drive. I've never been to Reno. It's a famous and famously shitty city um i'm just gonna go do some random shit i'm gonna go stay in a not expensive hotel it's actually very cheap there because um it's all casinos and you can stay at the casinos and they want you to stay there because they figure you're gonna gamble so i'd say those hotel rates are a little bit subsidized if you will so I didn't, it's like, it's very interesting. I, on Monday I get off work and it's my normal thing. I've worked five days. I've worked hard. It's been a good week. And I just didn't have a deep, dark crash because I was focused on something and I was distracted and I was nervous. Like, you know, just like a basic travel anxiety of trying to like, oh, I got to pack. I got to remember my shit, even though it's like a 24 hour trip. Um, and I guess that's the whole lesson, you know, the lesson is that we can't just do nothing. It's interesting because it's like, it's similar to the lesson of, because we want to, we want to do nothing. Like we want to just sit down in an armchair and just close our eyes and just relax we want to just rest our eyes, you know what I'm saying? But it's similar to the thing of how what you also want is you want fat and sugar. Like if you look at the inside of your own consciousness at any given moment, you want fat and sugar. But my whole life I've been like taught that everyone, you know, is is told every every moment about how, I don't know, it just feels like the culture is good at teaching us that you want fat and sugar, but but in any sort of big picture way, you don't. Like, you can have a little bit of fat and sugar, but fat and sugar is going to fuck you up. And, and it's like, 
like those crazy reality TV shows, like My 600 Pound Life, that is such an incredible public service, isn't it? To just show that to people and to be like, yeah, this is, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, is it on TLC? Because that would be very ironic. How that is the lesson we need to learn. That is the the learning channel that we need. But then we also need a reality TV show about a guy who decided to do nothing. You know, giving up. And how we want to give up and just rest our eyes, but we we can't. In any kind of big picture way, we don't want that. And the, the way I try to see it for myself more and more is it's really like an engine running. Doing nothing is to be parked with the engine running. Like, that is what the mind feels like. When you do nothing, it's not like the mind starts doing nothing. The mind starts to fucking consume itself. You know? The cells start fighting each other in the mind, and they start eating eating their own, you know? That's what it feels like. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been just planning on doing nothing on my two days off and I've been really succumbing to the darkness and then I just come up with this the most like it's like an inexpensive very uninspired trip that I was still excited about because I've never been to Reno and um, and then everything was fine I get off work on Monday and I feel fine. And then on Tuesday, I have some time to do some some stuff I should be doing, like, you know, a little bit of reading and writing, you know. And then I go to Reno and and it's just distracting and it's a lot. And, and yeah. And then when I came home last night on what is effectively my Sunday night, you know, like the night before I have to go back to work the next day. That's when I experienced a little bit of a crash because there was like this complete meaningless to it all, but it's a baby crash. You know, it's a little baby driver having a little baby crash. And it's fine. And then you just, I was so tired and then you just force yourself to go to bed and and then it's all fine. Slept nine hours, woke up rested today. Man, I wish our, I wish, I wish I... I wish the culture had always been on a daily basis teaching me when I was a kid that we're not allowed to do nothing. We're not allowed to only eat fat and sugar, and we're not allowed to do nothing. What we need is like a reality TV show about hikikomoris, those Japanese guys that just give up. Because that is, you know, my darkest fucking thing of persecution in your own heart. It's right there. It's like they live with their mom. They have really combative relationships with their moms. Their moms want them to go out and do stuff. They never, ever have girlfriends. Their moms feed them. And they, like, don't even move around the house. They just stay in their own rooms. And then they do stuff on the computer. And they develop, like, girlfriend-like relationships with different technological stuff and 
gosh darn it, I, I tell you that's probably really depressing if you zoom in on it and make a couple of seasons, you know, film a couple of seasons of a reality TV show about a couple of guys like that. It's probably, you probably get to that same point as you, I'm sure you do in my 600 pound life. Not that that's an actual good show or that I've seen more than five or 10 minutes of it total, but I don't know that that show really does a good job of, of revealing how behind this thin layer of obesity is actually like some real mental health issues that probably led to these. Like, if you have a completely sound mind, I don't think you can end up being super, oh, so, such a mean, such a mean thing to be talking about somehow. Feels rude. Feels rude for me to talk about this. Uh, maybe there is a good documentary on Hikikomori's and what the psychology behind it is. I don't know. Let's drink a water. So, first one here. The brand is called Sound. I'm excited about this. I emailed them like two weeks ago and was like, would you like to send me some samples to review? And they immediately responded with this like very pleasant voice. The voice in the email that they wrote to me. Why am I being weird? I'm being weird. Anyway, they wrote me a nice email and they sent me a variety pack. I got it in the mail quite quickly. I got it a few days ago. Everything is good. The world is a good place. The world is definitely not a good place. But here we go. Sound. Unsweetened organic. Sparkling water with tea and botanicals. The first flavor we're doing here is blueberry cinnamon hibiscus tea. Because this this episode we're doing berry. Doesn't that sound pretty cool? Filtered sparkling water, hibiscus, blueberry extract, cinnamon extract. Most of the shit is organic. All of it is organic except the water. Because I think any chemistry teacher would tell you that, by definition, water is not organic. Bright bubbles, bold botanicals. Such a good design on this thing. It's like a 70s solid colors design on the can. Love it. Oh, my fingernails are weak. Ooh, froth just attacking me. Just a wave of froth coming over me. Like depression on a Monday night. Ooh, no smell. Interesting move, sound. Ooh, no smell. Nothing. Can't get anything. Okay, let's try it. Gentle, gentle color here to this froth. Like a metallic purple color to the water. Oh, wow, that's good. Wow, who knew that blueberry and cinnamon is a thing? that go? They, they go. Will it go together? It will. Oh. Absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. Blueberry cinnamon hibiscus tea. You can taste all three. 
and they all really go together. And there's like this gentle bitterness to it, astringent quality to the tea flavor that makes it feel really grown and sexy. And then it's just got these other kind of fun, playful flavors like blueberry. And they are really, it's these flavors that really don't step on each other's toes. Like you can really, they exist on completely different separate frequencies. So you can taste all three very clearly without them interfering with each other. Very, very rare flavor experience here with the sound. Yeah, that's just a, that's just a 10 out of 10. I don't know how else to say it. That's a 10 out of 10. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of did this thing where I, I decided to record the podcast after going to Reno because I was like, I'm sure something will happen in Reno that I can talk about on the podcast. And when I think, when I plan stuff out like that, it's never the case because the podcast is about how someone looked at me weird once when I was standing at a corner and it made me feel something about my childhood and it made me hate my dad. And it's like, you know, made me buy more crypto or something. Like, it's always some abstract, completely opaque, confusing, psychologizing of everyday life stuff is what the podcast is actually about. And that stuff never happens on a schedule. Happens once a week, though. (laughs) Happens often enough for me to have a weekly podcast about it. But that stuff never happens on a schedule. So it's never really the case that I can plan a thing that I'm going to do and then assume that I'm going to have something to talk about from that thing because it wasn't a very psychological trip but it is interesting though fucking a new place you know a new place is always interesting excuse me a sound burp um sound it really reminds me of how Okay, so it reminds me of how we used to have a couples therapist, me and the woman I was married to that I talk about on every episode. His name was John, and his therapy um, company was called SoundMind. And he was the only person at his company, and he smoked a lot of weed, and he was a chill guy, and he rented a tiny little office space cubby, and you came in, and he'd give you a little bit of therapy. And I think John had it, had it figured out. I think he made enough money, and I think he enjoyed his job, and I think it was a good time for him. And um, his company was called SoundMind, which is a pun because of the Puget Sound. Everything in Seattle is named after the Puget Sound. So everything is called Puget whatever or Sound whatever. And then to take the word sound and combine it with mind you're just, you're winning. You're winning because, this microphone is a little bit crooked. You're winning. Why are you winning? You're winning because that that's good. Everyone, what we want from therapy is a sound mind. <laughs> so, so John, I don't remember what his last name was, but I recently found out a bunch of extra stuff because what happened was that he was our couples therapist for like six months. And then I started dropping the D word, divorce. And then I was just like, fuck it, we're getting a divorce, and I left. And then it turned out that she thought that he he was really good as a therapist, as a couples therapist. So so they both, both him and my soon-to-be ex-wife asked me at the time, like, hey, is it cool if John becomes my therapist? 
and the thing about it is that the way therapy and privacy and you know competing interests and everything works is that once you've gone down that path he can no longer be my therapist and he can no longer be a couple therapist for either one of us and i have to kind of sign off on it for him to be her therapist because he knows so much about me that for him to take her on as a patient one on one for some reason in the hippocratic hypocritical therapist oath which is not worth the paper it is not written on um for some reason i had to sign off on it so i did cuz i was like fuck it guys i'm out i'm out i don't want to be here i don't want to be here anymore is a line from a boy genius song who knows which one but yeah or no it's from the sound it's from the song the gold originally written by manchester orchestra but performed by phoebe bridgers um <laughs> so john became her therapist and was her therapist for a while and then there was this weird thing where for my green card a year later i needed him to just write an affidavit saying we did couple therapist because to prove that it was a real marriage i just needed a couple of my lawyer was like there's a couple of basic things you can do that show that this is really a real marriage and saying that you did months of therapy is a good argument for how this was a real marriage that you really tried to work on so i contacted john and he like was like dude we promised not to ever talk to each other again because i'm her therapist now you can't you can't you can't contact me and then i was like you just have to say something which should be in the public record which is that there was couple therapy you don't have to make any value statements about it i know you think i'm a piece of shit now cuz you're siding with her but just say and i think i got him to sign a piece of paper with just like one sentence on it which was like there was couple therapy behind between this and this date oh and the whole thing felt very stiff but then when i talked to my ex like 2 months ago She was like I hadn't thought of any of this for years, you know. That's not true. That's not how I should say it. I hadn't really thought of John for years. So when I talked to my ex-wife last month, she goes She was asking me if I still write and I was like, "Yeah, I did, you know, I did like whatever. I did like publish a novel or what. Like I did self-publish. I did just finish a thing and I self-published it and I feel good about it. I'm not asking anyone to be impressed with that because in the end I just self-published it, whatever." And then she's like, "I wrote something too. I wrote a book about John." And I'm like, "Who the fuck is John?" And she's like, "You don't remember who John is?" And because John like loomed much larger in her mind because he stayed her therapist and I just remembered it as we had two co- I I used to be married once Rem- reminds me of that book title we were married once no, no, <laughs> no. we were soldiers once comma and young <laughs> which is just widely considered in my mind as the best book title ever that one and Joan Didion's we tell ourselves stories in order to live those are the two good ones we were married once and young yeah i was married once and had two couple therapists 
Their names escape me. The first one, it was a cool, she was like a cool, hip, young black lady who was in our, our age. Her name was like Sharice or something like that. Shireen. Nah, Shireen is that made-up character from that Kendrick Lamar album. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, so my ex-wife apparently wrote like a... Um, romance romance novel psychological thriller fiction novella or short novel about the psychosexual tension she had with John apparently and I don't think that makes me jealous makes me jealous he might still be her therapist i think that's what she was saying how they do it over the phone now and and it is helpful though because my theory of medicine both of body and of the mind and of both because they are one my theory of medicine is that a truly sort of evidence-based holistic approach has to be the best way and i think this is a completely non-controversial statement but like you should have a real doctor in a hospital who isn't some sort of like fucking witch doctor, no bullshit alternative medicine bullshit, but it should be a real doctor in a hospital and they should know everything about your life and they should follow you for many years and they should like know your family members and be the primary care physician for your family members too so that they know what's going on in your body over a long time but also what's going on in your relationships and they know who's like crazy and who to trust and what's true and then they can sort of pinpoint like what's a physical ailment here and what's a physical ailment that actually has a origin in the mind or like origin in the abusive relationship because your mom is a piece of shit you know like some people just have a mom that's a piece of shit and that's when people say hey my mom's a piece of shit it's impossible to know the truth without spending a lot of time with the mom and a lot of time with the person saying my mom is a piece of shit. And what was I saying? Yeah, the same should go for a, for a therapist. So I think the fact that you tried to be someone's therapist and then John having had me, been sitting across from me for six months too so that he can call her on her bullshit when she's like, nah, Joachim wasn't really like that. And it just call balls and strikes, you know? Just validate reality and be like, yeah, Joachim was a piece of shit in that way. That's true, you're not being crazy. Or alternatively, more commonly, that isn't true, you're just being crazy. Oh, I wish I had a soundboard. I wish I had a soundboard on the podcast where I could... Ugh, I hate myself. Oh, God, I hate myself a lot. I hate myself a lot. John. He was this kind of short, overweight guy who smoked a lot of weed. And because he smoked a lot of weed, he wasn't good at, at telling me that I should probably smoke less weed. So it wasn't until long after I departed out of John's office that I realized that my problems, big part of my problems is drugs and alcohol. He didn't help me with that because he made it sound benign because he did it too. 
Mm. Sound mind. Oh, the reason I thought of it is because of this water. Sound. Sound mind. Mm. Ah, this one's to John. I'm going to pour this out for my old... I'm pouring this can of sparkling water out for my old couple therapist. Um, anyway, what is there to say about Reno? So we go, and it's... One big thing is I keep forgetting that I live in weird corners of America that aren't really the real American experience. And then I keep re-remembering it when I leave my bubble. Like I was living in Seattle and it's like the least American city in, in America. Tied for number one with all the other weird big cities. And then every time you leave and go to Boise, Idaho, you're like, oh, this is what people are like. Oh, people drive pickup trucks where they, they get a big, big sticker that covers the entire back window. That's like an American flag over the entire window with bold black letters over the flag that just say, back off. Like all that they want to say is encapsulated in the words, back off. You know? Oh, the word fag is implied, you know? They don't even have to write the word fag because it's implied. And now I'm living in the mountains and, and it's it's just, it's hard to pinpoint what it is. It's hippie, it's hippies. And the hippies have shifted with each decade and they are now different. There's a multitude of them and and they 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 are different, but... They are not American. They are, they are deeply un-American. I will say that. It's hard to define them, but just because it's hard to define them doesn't mean that it they don't exist. That's like, I, I was listening to this podcast about um, Charles Murray. I don't really want to talk about this, but Charles Murray is this guy who... He's an academic and he's written a lot of what people call... Excuse me, so many sound burps there. A little bit of Puget, a little bit of Puget coming up, bubbling up my, my trachea right there. A little bit of Puget sound. Um, the swell of the ocean. Uh, the swell of the sound. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, Charles Murray, is, he, he wrote a book about IQ and race, which is just like a rude thing to talk about because we have a couple of ways to measure IQ, and when you do, not all races come out the same, and then it's rude to be like, Oh yeah, these guys are stupid. And then people are like, yeah, well, you're just kind of being rude. And there's probably a lot in how we developed those tests where we are going to score better because we developed them. And the we is whatever you want want it to be, you know? Men. White people. Boomers. But, um, but I do find him to be smart and I do find him to be the enemy. And sometimes it's interesting to listen to a smart enemy because there are so many vague things. I have so many, we have so many vague opinions about everything, about race and class and economics or whatever. And to just listen to the smart enemy make a bunch of points can really clarify what, how we disagree with him, which isn't, so you end up with much clearer opinions listening to Charles Murray. And there are so many things where he's like, he was talking about how like, 
is the idea of um, absentee African-American fathers. Is that something that we can blame on slavery? And he doesn't think so. And he talked about that for a while. And the more I listened to it, I was like, it's so clear to me how it is, though. Like, it's a very controversial and it's very mean and horrible and like rude thing to even talk about because it's not like our culture or our thing to try to unpack or whatever but to me it's like just so clear how something as like devastating and like warlike as slavery something as culture annihilating as slavery where you for just generations just just treat the family unit as non-existing because these human beings are goods and goods to be sold you know they're assets they are an asset class next to real estate or whatever. And um, and then to, yeah, I don't know. I just really believe that things like war and slavery have this hangover effect where like war, and I remember thinking about this growing up in Sweden where we had all these people come in from, um, refugees come from places where they had war, you know, the first Gulf War between Iran and Iraq in the 90s or like the the Bosnia, Yugoslavia, whatever, w civil war. All these people, all these kids would come from these um, places destroyed by war. And I, it was clear to everyone that they were like a little bit fucked up and that they were hard to deal with. And I think my big takeaway was like how when you've really spent like a long period of time in a place where human life is like, the value of human life is very, very low, it like, that doesn't come back just because you're in Sweden for six months. Like it takes maybe generations for that to grow back, for like us to again value human life properly, or like to give a very high value to one human life. And it's just like the, the, there's a quickness to the pro, to the removal, and there's a slowness to the to the act. Like it's very quick to annihilate everyone's conception of it. I think any you just bomb the shit out of any like city for like six months, and the people don't leave, and they just live through the bombing, and they just see people die every day. You do that for six months, and then you've completely annihilated their sense of the value of human life, and then now it's going to take them like multiple decades and generations for that to come back properly. I think that there's a slowness to that coming back process that I think applies to maybe what it means to try to understand and value like a family unit and to have those like pre those like vague abstract pressures and motivations and the idea that like slavery annihilates something that then takes a very, very long time to come back. Ugh, such a depressing topic. But anyway, Charles Murray was talking about all that and a bunch of other things. And then he was talking about the concept of the West and like, cause he's, he's just wrote a new book called The War on the West or whatever. And, um, and it reminded me of when I was writing my thesis for my Chinese bachelor, my professor, Mikael Schoenhals. He would, you have all these people that are like in their last year of uni and they're all thinking about what to write their thesis about. And then people want to write about these big cultural concepts. 
and they want to like play around and write these basically like a long ass op-ed and call that a thesis. And he was really against, he was a hard scientist. Like he was a, he's a scholar of politics, but he's like, he wants it to be a hard science where you, you're like text driven and you're evidence driven and you don't just make a bunch of bullshit up. Because it's the humanities, but you want to whip these people into shape. So whenever anyone was like, I want to compare China and the West on this angle, he'd always be like, so what's the West? And uh, spoiler alert, there's no way to define the West. And even I um, had those conversations with him where I was like, I want to compare... <laughs> I remember one, I must have mentioned this on the podcast before, my or my first idea was how living in China, I was always, I, I, I many times would witness um, Chinese grandparents or uncles that would get infants drunk, infants, people younger than maybe three, they would get them drunk and they would be, they would find it extremely amusing to see a two-year-old drunk um, because I just, I do think that there are all these differences, China versus other places in the conception of childhood and what it means. And it's very vague and it's very abstract, but it's interesting. And it's like, like they, th one Chinese idea that, that sloshed around in the culture. Maybe it's gone now, but it was definitely a thing. Like China had a lot of air pollution and a lot of Chinese people had this idea that you have to expose the kids to a lot of air pollution when they're young so that they become immune to it, which is such a weird, like techno-futurist, um, apocalyptic idea that we want to create these like morphed humans that are like better at stuff, which is almost like that movie Crimes of the Future where the twist is that like, humans are evolving into people that can consume plastic. Like, in the movie, the characters have these tumors growing in them, and we keep um, surgically removing the tumors because they seem cancerous, but they're really confusing tumors that look like new organs and stuff, and it's weird. And then there's this other group of people that just let the tumors and the weird organs grow, and then if you let them grow, they become this new digestive system that can... They, it, all these different tumors connect and become this like functional new digestive system that can digest plastic. And it's like this beautiful, disturbing, poetic idea about the future of humanity. And the Chinese idea with kids is a little bit like that. I don't know, for some reason I wrote this one thing in my book about how there's a guy talking about a computer and how computers remember everything from their own history, even things from their own infancy, because they have a hard drive and they just, it's all there. It's all on the hard drive. Whereas humans, like nothing that happens to us as infants have any effect on our development. Just like, I don't know, it's a joke, but it's also like not a joke, maybe. Oh, what was I saying? Yeah, okay, so what I was saying is that I was in these all these arguments with Mikael Schönhals, the professor, the man who wrote Mao's Last Revolution with the fucking Redinger or whatever the Harvard professor is, that which is widely considered the conclusive book on, if you need a one volume on the Cultural Revolution, if you're studying the Cultural Revolution on a university level anywhere, you do uh, Mikael Schönhals' book. But 
So I had this idea. I wanted to study. I wanted to do something about drunk kids in China and and how people think it's funny to get them drunk and how different that is from in the West. And he just killed it because he always was like, so what's the West? And the spoiler alert is that there's no way to define the West. And I never won those arguments. So I had to drop all those things. And then in the end, as we all know, I decided to um, read the 50 top-selling books on Amazon in the business section on the Chinese Amazon and on the American Amazon and then do a comparison of like, what's popular in these two places? And here I allowed America to be a stand-in for the West because at least you can define America. At least he wasn't going to be like, what's America? So um, I had to drop everything that was vague and it was about China versus the West. But everyone in that room always lost the relation, uh, the argument with uh, Mikael Juanhaus because they always invoked the concept of the West. And he was like, what's the West? Can you define it? And you can't because there are so many, like, is Russia part of the West? Like, there's there's too much gray area. Um, but then I was listening to, the, to Charles Murray talk and he had so many shitty things, to, so many, like, rude and horrible things to say about it, where he's like, well, the West is introspective more than other places. It's like, bro, you don't know that. The West is, you know, freedom. That's not Western. And then he kept being like, yeah, the... <laughs> he was like, the West has a ravenous interest in the outside world. That's one of the unique features of the West. And it's such a fun use of the word ravenous. And then he had this like mumbled disclaimer at the end where he's like, and yeah, you know, some of that interest in the outside world wasn't, was, was uh, self-seeking, obviously. You know, some of it wasn't all good for the outside world. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> good, good job, Charles Murray. Good job acknowledging that colonialism was a thing, huh? Good job. But in his, the interviewer asked him, like, so what is the West? And then he, he just said, well, I don't like talking about definitions because um, then you can get stuck on that and then you never get off that topic, which I was like, oh, shit, he just lost. He just lost the argument. That's what you say when you lost the argument. But then he talked about it for a bunch. And then he ended with saying, just because it can't be defined doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And there I actually felt like he won the argument because that's what no one ever said to Mikael Juanhals when I was in school. Just because it can't be defined doesn't mean it doesn't exist because that's true. Like there is something we can see and feel and sense that is the West, but it exists on like a spectrum and sometimes it exists more and sometimes it exists less. How did I start talking about this? Where did I, how did I get here? I don't remember this. Um, anyway, I think that's a good argument. Just because it can't de be defined doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Because we can be too. It might mean that you can't write your thesis on it though. That can also be true at the same time, where it's like, 
Yeah. It's too vague for that. Maybe I should send Mikael Juanhals this episode. I always wanted to please him. I always wanted to please him. Sometimes I did and sometimes I didn't. He got really mad at me this one time when... In school he like made us read these books, these history books on China and then he gave us a test on it and then I... There was like these questions on Mao and I just wrote about Mao. Because Mao was famously a swimmer. He liked to swim in all these different rivers. And I just wrote about it as if Mao was most famous for being a swimmer. And he thought that was so rude. Such a shitty way to give a... Such a shitty way to answer a test. But then I wrote a thesis and he's like, it's the best thesis I've ever read. So I don't know. I don't know that he said that, but... Uh, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. No. No, what he did say that was heartening for me was that he, I was in China and I was doing it all but remotely. And he didn't like that. And he did. He, he felt like you got to guide your people writing a thesis and you being their uh, thesis advisor. You got to guide them along the way. And I asked for no guidance. And I just like halfway into it, I was like, so when can I submit my thesis? And he's like, bro, you haven't even proposed a topic for me yet. Like, bro, 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 we got to do many steps. And then I was like, fine, fine, but just give me a date. And then he like, was like, yeah, if you, hypothetically, if you give me a thing and along the way I like it, you can, we can do it by this date. And then I just sent him a finished thesis and he was like, oh, okay, it's actually good. You didn't need any guidance. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> I was like... I was like, God damn it, I wish you could get paid to do this because I think I'm good at this. But it turns out you can't get paid to do that. And I, I'm not good at very many things that you can get paid to do. But I knew how to do that. That was the one thing I knew how to do. Let's drink a dreams. I was drinking out of water. Let's drink out of water. Trader Joe's seltzer with a splash. Seltzers with a splash from Trader Joe's. So let's retell that boring Trader Joe's joke that I saw on Instagram, which is my girlfriend likes to go. My girlfriend likes Trader Joe's like all girlfriends. My favorite part about going to Trader Joe's is going to another grocery store afterwards to get all the, the rest of the shit you need. Cranberry. Seltzers with a splash. Cranberry and lime juice. Gentle, gentle cranberry smell. That's a Finnish accent for anyone wondering. Gentle, gentle cranberry smell. Finnish is a good accent because it sounds a lot like Star Wars. Guantanamahita, Mr. Solo. Like you think... You think it's a... Uh, Episode four, five, six, um, Mandalorian, but it's really Finnish. Mm. That is that. So we've been talking about lime juice recently a lot. Lime juice done well is up there among. It's one of the greats. This isn't that. This is cranberry from extract, lime juice from extract. Not that great. 
Oh, it's not actually from extract. I'm reading the ingredients, but they still didn't do it. They didn't keep it good. They didn't keep it good. It's still fresh because how can you fuck up just a little bit of cranberry juice and a little bit of lime juice and some sparkling water? You can't. But that's a 5.5. So, um, yeah. I keep living in these fake-ass American places. Oh, yeah, that's how I was saying it. I don't know how to define the hippies, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist. But so then you go to Reno and then you realize that, oh, like what does it mean to be American? You don't know how to define it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And when you go to Reno, you can get up close and personal with what's really American. It's like we're staying at a casino because the casinos are cheap. And it's like all these people of every age that are, it's a lot of obese people people that have given up on walking that have gotten themselves scooters and i think these scooters are like the way i imagine it is that people just buy them and then they try to bill it to their insurance and then they end up in this like in a four-year phone call war with their insurance company where the insurance company is like bro you don't have a problem like you're just lazy why did you get a scooter and they're like no i have high blood pressure my knees hurt. I'm in chronic pain. I've been doing fentanyl. I have all these things that should give me a scooter. And the insurance company is like, bro, you just need lifestyle changes. You just need to stop eating drive through fucking factory food. And the people are like, no, I'm sick. So you have all these people of all different ages sitting, riding these electric scooters inside the casino. And then, like, the people who do walk, they everyone needs a cane. When you hit 50, you need a cane, which is like, ooh. It's like a very, the public health situation is abysmal. The public health situation is terrifying. But that's the real America. That's the real America. And the hippies around here, they've rejected all of that. And rejecting all of that includes, unfortunately, rejecting vaccines. But at least it means eating fucking, spending a lot of money on organic vegetables to circumvent a broken food system. And at least they're skinny and they get fresh air and they exercise, you know? They do succumb to like <laughs> very basic medical ailments that we have solutions for. And they're definitely like the cause of some crazy smallpox outbreaks that shouldn't be a thing. I don't know. What is it that we vaccinate for that they don't vaccinate for that's becoming a problem? I don't know. Don't ask me. I try to not worry about it too much. Yeah. In Reno, we saw this one vending machine and like on the side of it, it's like all these like fruits and vegetables. And it just says like healthy vending machine on it. And it's like healthyvendingforyou.com. And... uh a healthier choice and all these weird slogans about healthiness. And it's like a refrigerated vending machine that should have fruits and vegetables in it that you can buy, but they've replaced it all with, with Cheetos and, and Doritos and, and soda and Snickers bars and Twix bars and just candy. So if you want an ice cold bag of original lightly salted lace potato chips, 
in Reno, Nevada, at the mall, you can, you can get such a thing. Such a depressing mall. It's also when I go to places like that that I, I realize, there's many things for me to realize. I think I realize how people see me, how I'm weirder than I realize. Because I'm like aspiringly pretentious, like I'm aspiring to be a pretentious person, like I try to be pretentious on purpose. Oh, I, I, oh, suddenly, uh, when saying that was like opening a can and, and just a big wave of froth of self-loathing came, came out of the can. I didn't know before saying that sentence, I didn't know that someone had shook that sentence before giving it to me. The gods upstream that they give me these sentences to say the gods upstream in my consciousness the mind is a river and, and down on this river from a place where we don't, we don't know where it comes from. But cans of sparkling water come bobbing down the river and we open them and sentences come out. And we say those sentences and who knows where these words come from, you know? If we're in moments of being foolish, we might feel like they come from us, but we don't exist. The you is an illusion. I don't know. Yeah. The casinos. Just like being a morbidly obese person driving a scooter over to a slot machine is a very... I mean, it's supposed to be a dark corner of the American experience because it's like not only is it Reno just famous for a bunch of vices, it's also like... It's the shitty stepbrother of Vegas. Like it's the shittier version of something which is already deeply sinful and flawed, you know? So I don't know what to expect. Like Reno is definitely not the the average real America. It's just like, yeah, God, it's dark though. Because you're like indoors there in the casino and they, there are no windows and they keep it like weirdly dark and it's like noon and you stay at the casino so you like get up you go exit your hotel room and you walk downstairs and you're like in this dark cave place but you're on the third floor and everything's blinking and there's like country music blasting and and 66% of people are obese in a scooter and the other 33% are like really, really, really homophobic, ripped, middle-aged, handsome dudes in cowboy hats who all want to fuck each other. Like these like rock hard, tight butt cheeks and tight denim. Button ups. Maybe on their day off, you're wearing a t-shirt instead of a button up. You still do a cowboy hat and a t-shirt and you're... Your t-shirt says, let's go, Brandon. Stylized in an American flag. Oh, God. The darkness of that corner. Um, it didn't get to me, though. I was okay. Because I was distracted by my own stuff, you know? Let's do another water. 
Ah, berry. So we did blueberry, we did cranberry, and now we're doing blackberry raspberry from Sunny Select. God damn it, I've been doing a lot of Sunny Select recently, huh? Because your boy's poor. We covered that. Really got to stop checking on my crypto because it tanked and lost like 80% of its value. And then I keep checking on it. And every time I check it, it's lost like, you know, 0.05% of its value again. So it's like the trend is it's flatlined, but the, the micro trend is a downward trajectory still. But it's like, yeah, it's... Now it's like a slow, slow train crash. Like now it's like you're bleeding out, you know? You severed that vein in your thigh or whatever that's like impossible to fix. Ah, blackberry raspberry. Mmm. Ooh. I've been shitting on these Sunny Selects a lot, but this one... It tastes like a berry-flavored Sprite that's actually... There's a time and a place for this. There's definitely a time and a place for this. You know, zero calories. You can definitely taste the... Um, aspartame, but it's fine. It's interesting here. It's like it says zero calories per serving, but calories per container is 10. So apparently they've been able to round it down to zero per serving, per, per serving, but it's not zero. So, so there's there's something, and per container there is something. So on the front it says calorie free, and then in small print it says per serving, which is like that's not true though, because you can say zero calories, and you because it's actually zero point four, so you can round it down to zero. But free, calorie-free means nothing, though. Calorie-free is not the same as zero calories. Because if, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I know what I'm saying. That's, that's a bad feeling, huh? When you know what you're saying, but you're not saying it well, so no one else knows what you're saying. Because me knowing what I'm saying isn't enough. If it was just about me knowing what I was saying, it should be, I know what I'm thinking. I'll just think it. Saying is an aspirational thing where you're hoping for someone to understand what you're saying. You're hoping to share and communicate. So saying only I know what I'm saying is very depressing. Okay, let's talk about something totally different. Um, Reno, good food though. Let's talk about something else. Um... Now I feel like I'm repeating myself because I talked about this once, but in reality, but, but I had this experience where I woke up to a bunch of texts, like I always do because I wake up at noon. Um, and Natasha had texted me that she had a dream about me. Natasha, my coworker, not Natasha in Seattle, who, um, I was in a polyamorous relationship with not Natasha who fetishized me for being Scandinavian. Um, Natasha, my coworker. And she's, it was very nice. She was like, yeah, I can't remember what we were doing, but we were laughing a lot and it was like really fun and we were hanging out and it was great, which is like so nice to hear because it just means that the person thinks of you 
lightly instead of heavily. Okay, that sounds weird. It, she, it's like I'm a light. There's a lightness to, my, to the image of me in her mind where it's like I'm not, a, I'm not an element of, I don't bring stress to her. It, there's a lightness to it and we can just have fun. And when I am in her dream, we just sort of laugh and wander around. And that's nice. And then my friend Sam texted me and was like, I had a dream about you. And <clears throat> we were doing something with food and the food kept falling apart weird and it wasn't going well. And I was worried about you because I thought you were going to go get back together with your ex-wife. Um, so that's a more mixed bag in terms of is it good? But the overall um, thing about it is like I, I really had this. It really made me f it it hearing from two people at the same time that you that they were dreaming about you it's there's a certain magical there's a certain like supernatural quality to that and it made me very sympathetic to this it's a fun little instructive thing in this conversation that I'm incredibly fascinated with the conversation of like how did we star how did we start believing in a bunch of weird made up magical shit and the truth is that that weird made up magical shit was probably the best explanation at a certain time. And like, this is a fun example because it's like when you're confronted with this, like if you wake up and three people come at you in the same morning and they say, I had a dream about you. And then they tell a little story. You have to, the best way to understand that if you're a pre-modern, pre-science person is that you have to believe that there's something to dreaming and there's something there's just it's connected to some sort of reality and there's probably something about the consciousness the consciousness is probably a little bit like a soul and at night the soul probably wanders around a little bit and maybe that night my soul got really big or really active or like really engaged and my soul like inserted itself or went and communicated with lots of people that night my soul left the house that night you know that's probably the best way to understand that for those people. And then maybe even modern people who aren't very smart still interpret it like that. <laughs> oh, such a shitty statement because really it's I'm totally open to the idea that we don't know everything and that there might be funny funny connected things between consciousnesses and minds like I'm totally humble in terms of we really do not understand what a consciousness is. So there might be something funny going on. But but I do think it's a coincidence because there are many interesting observations here. Like the mind wants to come up with a narrative. The mind wants to make it into a story. Like our minds are like these story-making machines. So like I'm thinking about it and I'm like two people on the same morning um, told me that they had dreams about me. And I was thinking about how I was going to talk about this on the podcast. And I was thinking about, I, I was having these, I was trying to, but then I realized this thing in my mind where I'm trying to make it a better story. And then I was super honest with myself and I realized it's not the same morning. It was like three days apart, you know? So that's the first fucking thing. Like humans are such fucking liars or like the truth is so useless to us because there's stuff that, that we just value more than truth. And that's, that's how it is, if we're being honest. Like, 
we are so much more interested in a good story than we are in the truth. And when it comes to all of this stuff where we're trying to understand the world and we're thinking about the world, we're not scientists. We're like storytellers. It's our storytelling instincts of wanting to... Our storytelling instinct of wanting to make something a good story exists at the same time as us trying to understand stuff, which exists at the same time as us just inventing a bunch of shit. So it's like... You know, the, the one I always go back to, which I think, I think gender is really fascinating in this space because I think so many, if you actually go back to like folklore studies and just read these like micro stories of supernatural events that people have, supernatural experiences and explanations, so many of them are about women and weird shit women do and how people don't understand why women do weird shit. And then from a, through a modern lens, it all makes sense because we get it now. Like women are also just people and they have their own motivations and stuff. So, but it's fascinating to, that so many of those original micro stories uh, where like folk folklorists and anthropologists go around and just collect stories of supernatural shit. So much of it is like, yeah, we're living in this village and suddenly this woman is gone. And there are so many stories where people try to explain that, where they're like, yeah, it was always nice to her. She, she, she definitely wanted to be here. So it must have been a troll that took her, you know? And then viewed from this, like, cr with a critical modern lens, it's clear that, like, she fucking hated it there. She just left, bro. Yeah, she was like, oh, I love living here. And then the next day she just left. And she was saying that because she was like, torn by how you were going to be upset that she left and like maybe she even fucking made it seem like the troll took her because she wanted you to not feel terrible about it but she hated being there and you know the fucking fairies the fucking river fairy took her you know and now she's living now she's a slave underground and the river the river fairy keeps her as a as a fucking bed maiden that's the best explanation. Not that she just didn't want to be here anymore and she left. So we treated her like shit and she had no rights. She couldn't do anything that she wanted to do and she was just going crazy. She'd rather just like wander off and just be like a prostitute five towns over. It's like that's how shitty it was here. Yeah. Because at least then she's like free a little bit. Like some of her own money. Yeah, so then you have this thing where it's like two people tell me that they had a dream about me and my mind wants to be like, oh yeah, it was the same morning. Yeah, yeah, it was like, it's probably something magical, yeah. That's really the, the only way to understand it. But so I was thinking about all of this and then I go into work the next day, which is two days ago. Today is a Thursday. On Tuesday for lunch, I go in to Holbrook to just, I go to the gym and then I go straight from the gym. I go all sweaty. I go in and I um, order a French dip sandwich. And then Brit, Brit is the only person on and she comes up to me and she's like, I had a dream about you last night. And it's like, damn. I was already going to talk about this on the podcast. I was already going to rely on the hard sciences and be like, it's made up. It's just a coincidence. And then the, 
Coincidences are real. There are coincidences. Some things are just a coincidence. Draft episode titles. Yeah. But it was nice, though. I don't know if Natasha and Britt are saying it like this because I'm um, the junioriest junior management and the the Vegas slightly above them in some totem pole and they're just trying to be nice to me because I don't have any power over anything, though, so it's fine. But but Britt was like, I can't exactly remember what we did, but it was like really nice and I just remember waking up and feeling like, Joachim is so nice. That's what she said. It's like, damn, Britt, that's awesome because I hate myself. But maybe you don't. You know? Maybe you don't. That was actually... Huh, it's funny. I never... I didn't even think about how I need... That's really... um, That's really the thing. Last week I talked about how I did the attachment style test. And how I had this revelation where it says... Yeah, people with your attachment style, they derive all their their feelings of self-worth from what other people think about them. And when I read that, I was like, oh, I thought everyone did that. But then I realized that's actually a problem. And that's not how healthy people do it. And then I've been thinking about that. And then I think it was especially on Tuesday where I woke up and I just had all these like positive messages from people. People saying all this nice shit. People commenting on the podcast. People being all nice. People giving me all these, all different kinds of encouragement and I just felt real good. And then realizing, having this sort of meta observation about that, that I can't just feel good on days when it's like that. So I have to, the capital given to me, the emotional money given to me, when people say, you're a nice person, I appreciate you. That money needs to be put in a savings account. It needs to not be spent. And then we need to save up all that money. And then we just need to teach, teach that money to grow on its own. Like there needs to be some sort of perpetual motion machinery of self-worth where we don't always need other people to look us in the eye and be like, you're worth something. Or even worse, like what you did This physical object that you designed here is nice. Because what we want is for people to say something about the intrinsic quality of us, not the things we made. So I was trying to take all those positive feelings I had from people randomly saying nice things to me. And I was trying to hold on to them and say that this is how I feel now. I should feel like this regardless of what people say about me. I should just feel okay. Because it's not even that I feel that great when people say nice things to me. I just feel all right. You know? Oh, yeah. I was trying to just feel okay. I'm not crying, I swear. I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah. What else was going on? Yeah, I don't know. Those were all my notes. Um, Can I do that? Can I take nice things that people say to me and can I put them in a savings account and save them 
on the one hand, I think it's, there's a practical habit to teach yourself to just, instead of teaching yourself to just remember negative things, if we can just do this kind of insufferable, shameful thing of just when people say five mean things to you in a day and five nice things to you, maybe just go back and think about the five nice things and just pretend that you're a little bit better than maybe you are. Maybe pretend to believe that you're a little bit better than what you believe that you are, because really we don't know what we are. Like there's no reality to any of it. The whole thing is just completely abstract. And there's no tallying of, well, in my lifetime, people said 11,500 negative things and 10,200 positive things, so I must be a shit person. None of that would ever matter because it's like shitty things, we say shitty things because we're in pain. And let's not worry about why we say nice things. Let's just take them for what they are, you know? Let's just take them for what they sound like they are yeah I don't know I thought I was going to talk about the economy this episode because there's something fascinating about how you can like you know you can approach it all boring and like get a fucking college degree in economics and you can fucking read op-eds all day from like Paul Krugman or people who hate Paul Krugman and you can weigh both sides and be like what's going on but there's something much more interesting and something much more up to date which is to just think about how do you feel about it because the economy is made up by a bunch of yous with their own tiny little wallets and their own tiny little feelings about it all and for like a year and a half there's been this disconnect between Economists have been like, there's this disconnect between how people feel about the economy at large and how people feel about their own, their own personal finances. Because people have felt really good about their personal finances, but they felt like the economy is not going well. And all these economists have been like, well, that doesn't make so much sense, now does it? Because the economy is just a bunch of personal finances put together. But the truth is that there's like some systemic problem where like, we gave a bunch of free money to people so they felt real good about their personal finances but at the back of their minds they knew all these like really boring conventional wisdom shit of like you just printed a bunch of money so this shit's about to fall apart and I think we're about to have such a conventional wisdom reality check and I think shit's about to fall apart because I feel pretty good about my personal finances but I think the entire economy is going to fall apart. The question is, is it going to be worse or not compared to 2008? Because that, it's interesting, I wasn't really old enough and I wasn't really enough of a, I was a little bit of a late bloomer in terms of actually making money or actually having a job. Like I did a lot of just partying there for a long time. When you're a partier, you just kind of enjoy watching the world burn, you know? You know, when you're like in China and you make about, I don't know, maybe like 700 bucks a month and you spend 720 bucks a month because your mom gives you 
you know, a hundred bucks on her birthday and you own nothing. And then you read a headline that the stocks are, the stock market is crashing. And then you're like, oh yeah, that's fresh. That's fresh. I don't mind that. Because you're a piece of shit. Really, it's what it is. Because you're a piece of shit. I don't know. Young people should be allowed to be young people, probably. And they should be allowed to feel those things. Yeah. Anyway, let's call it an episode. Let's call it an episode. This week, should I end every episode with like giving myself homework of how I should think about something? This week, I should try to, yeah, why haven't I, Jesus, episode 93 and now is when I remember, realize what this should be. This should be me giving myself home, reminding myself of what my homework should always be. My, my homework should be gratitude and stuff, but it should also just be, just feel good irrespective of what people say about you, you know, just feel okay, because it doesn't matter, yeah, it doesn't matter, anyway, I love you guys, last episode, that it ended with the word, I love you guys, and then at the exact moment I said that, I remembered this like massive other thing I wanted to talk about, so what I really said was, I love you guys, oh my god, there was this other thing I was going to talk about, and then I edited it to edit out the, I I just cut right there. So the episode ends with me saying, I love you guys. And then it, it's, it's the most unnatural sounding I love you guys ever. Because what I did is I took 10 minutes of ranting after the I love you guys and then inserted it in the middle of the episode. And you'll never know where. You'll never know where. Because my editing skills are mad. I got mad skills. But uh, yeah. Go back and listen to that weird ass I love you. But yeah, if you if you um, if you're out there, I love you. That's for sure. Goodbye.